This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 278. And the quote of the day is from Jim Rohn, who said, If you really want to do something, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I hope everybody's doing well. And if this is your first time checking out the podcast, thank you for listening. Thanks for checking it out. And you can find these on Stitcher. You can find these on iTunes. You can find them on Google Play or wherever you like to listen to your podcast. And all 278 episodes are up there for you, 100% free. So you can check them out there. And if you haven't already, please leave a rating or a review. If you've been listening for a while and you dig the podcast, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, go wherever you listen and leave a rating or review of the podcast. Let me know what you think. I would definitely appreciate that. So let's get into this conversation. I'm going to waste no time. This is with Gordon Campbell. And Gordon, I've been a a big fan of, of Gordon's playing for years. It's hard not to be not only because of his his feel and his his style and all that but he plays a bunch of different genres and he plays all of them really well i mean he's played with george duke jessica simpson and those two right there are completely you know opposites of each other he's played with earth wind and fire mary j Blige, uh beyonce kelly Rowland, whitney houston uh eric benet i mean he's the list is is very long and varied of the people who he's played with he's also an instructor at musicians institute who is a sponsor of this podcast thank you mi for being a podcast sponsor and the interesting part about Gordon now at this point in his career he talks about making the transition from being a touring drummer to now being a producer and staying home more and working in the studio and that transition is not an easy one to make so he talks about how he's still under the stereotypes of people saying oh well you're a drummer he says well you know I'm also a producer too and I do the I do all these other things so he gets into all that talks about how he's making these changes in his career and just very insightful so um, I'm glad that he took the time to chat with me today. So let's get into it right now with the one and only Gordon Campbell. Gordon, my man, how are you? Thank you for doing this. Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing well, man. You, my friend, are a legend, and I'm glad to uh, to have you on the podcast. I wouldn't go that far, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, big, I mean, big fan of your playing. Uh, have been for years. And for the for the people who don't know who you are, I, I'd like to build a little bit of backstory. Tell a little bit about where you come from, um, and sort of a little bit about your your bio, your history, people who you've played with, and then we're gonna get deep. And I'm gonna start asking you the the real stuff. Okay, cool. Well, my name's Gordon Campbell. I'm from a city called Newburgh, New York. Uh, little cities, uh, maybe an hour north of Manhattan. So, but my family, you know, we're in the city. So I was in, you know, I'm kind of a city kid. Between Brooklyn, Yonkers, you know, and Newburgh, it's maybe 45 minutes to an hour north of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But um, I was actually born in Connecticut, New Haven. And then probably before I turned a year old, my parents moved back to New York, and that's where I grew up. Ah, okay. I grew up playing at my grandfather's church. They told me I was five when I started. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I just always remember I was always playing. Just always like, playing. They were like, yeah, you were about five when you started, you know, picking the sticks up, when, you know, at my grandfather's church. And then by fourth grade, you know, I don't know if they don't, I don't think they do it as much now, 
But then fourth grade is if you want to play in a band, you pick an instrument and you're in band in fourth yeah. grade. So that's when I started actually taking lessons. But I was already playing. So you picked drums. Yeah, I just stuck with I was already playing drums. I've heard so many stories of people like I was all into the drums and then I went to school and they're like pick an instrument and they and everyone wanted to play drums and they're like, you got to play the flute. And they're like, no, I don't want to. I want to play drums. Yeah, my actually my I have a 16 year old daughter now. She did that in middle school and she ended up playing trumpet. Oh, really? I think she wanted to play drums and then no. And then she wanted to play sax. So, yeah. But everybody wants drums. Everybody right. was like, well, it's a cool but, instrument. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So I played drums. I started taking lessons. The funny thing is I was learning how to read, but I could already play drum set. So, you know, back then it's one teacher that teaches all the instruments. I could already right. play drum set better than the band teacher. Oh, really? Because I was, I, was, I was playing in church. So I was already good on drum set by fourth grade, you know, but I couldn't read or anything. So that's, you know. So talk to me about that for a minute. Do you think that, I mean, is that just, is it just natural ability or were you, do you look back at like, man, no, I was playing a lot and practicing a lot. So by the time you got to fourth grade, you'd already been playing for, you know, whatever, six years or something. Right. It's it's funny. I always talk about this with guys that grew up playing in church, which is a lot of guys that's out there now. Mm -hmm. uh, playing in church is like a real gig, even though I wasn't getting paid for right. it. Right. You're playing in a real situation in front of an audience and you can't stop. Like mm -hmm. it's not like a garage. So that's the uh, it's really on the job experience. Right. You know, in the beginning, there were older guys that were playing, but there was a youth choir and they would let me play whenever the youth choir would sing. That was I was a drummer. Wow. So since I can remember, I was our, I was the drummer for the youth choir as a little kid, barely reaching the pedals. And so you get experience. <laughs> I wasn't practicing because I didn't have a drum set at home. The only time I could play was at church. Right. Right. So. I would play whenever the choir was there or choir rehearsal, and that was pretty much it. Sort of baptism by fire, though. Yeah, you're just thrown in, and it's yeah. sink or swim. If you're not good, they won't let you play because it's like <laughs> that want to play. But you, you know? can't, like, you can't, not that you can't mess up, but it's a, it's a situation where, like, you have to really be on your game. Like you said, it's a real gig, whether you're getting paid for it or not. It's like, hey, man, there's songs to play. There's changes. You got to follow the MD. There's, I mean, you, it's, it's a real thing that you're doing. Yeah, and it's an actual church service, so you can't break the flow of the service either. Right. You got to. So yeah, it's trial by fire. You know, they're a little more lenient if you're a little kid because they understand you're little and, <laughs> right. and oh, so cute. He can play that, you know, like that. But you know, at some point, uh, you you still have to keep the beat some kind of way, some kind of straight. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Let you play, and then once you get that, you know, they'll bear with you. You know, they'll sure. teach you. They understand nurturing too, so they'll nurture you and teach you. All right, next time, do it like this. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But after a while at my church, the older boys stopped coming to church. You know, you get older and start hanging out. So then I became the drummer because I was the I was the one from a baby that grew up doing it. You know, yeah, yeah. So when so, you started when you started learning how to read and and all, were you interested in learning how to read or were you just were you like man I just want to keep playing sort of by ear uh, and honestly I don't I guess I wanted to learn how to read I wanted to I don't know. I don't know. I I think I always knew I was going to be a drummer at some point, like a professional drummer. That was like, even as a little kid, looking back right. now, I don't remember saying I'm going to be a professional. I just always played. So I just wanted to learn just, more. Just kept doing it and kept doing it. Yeah, I wanted to do it. And at some point, then I knew, you know, I, I did anything that had to do with music. Like I sang in chorus, mm -hmm. in orchestra. So I was playing timpani and mallets. Um, you know, it was basic stuff in, in high school, but right. timpani, mallets, um, Drum set and the stage band, which what they used to call it, was now I guess the jazz band. Yeah, anything that had to do with music, you know. Then they had a gospel choir. I was doing that, mm -hmm. you know. Anything that had to do with music, I was just there. <laughs> so I, it, I never even 
occurred to me like I don't I don't need to know how to read or I, I just did everything right you know? and you're like I gotta, I'm gonna need this one day so I might as well yeah do it. I, I don't even remember thinking about it I just did it because I know that there's two schools of thought some people think you know if you learn how to read or if you're gonna learn all this technique and all this stuff it's gonna make you stale and I mean maybe that might be a little advanced for thinking in middle school right but but what do you say about that argument of oh man I don't want to like really fa- focus on technique because I play from the heart and I don't want to get I don't want to get bogged down by that. Well, I look at technique as technique is just a way to express what you're feeling in your heart. Mm-hmm. So the more technique you have, the more expressive you can be. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I understand some people saying when if you harp on technique too much, you can feel stiff and it'll sound stiff. I get that. But for me, I still play what's in my heart. And I think I, you go through that phase. Now me teaching at MI, I really see that because at one point I was in college and I was I was percussion major. So I was mm-hmm. like trying double pedal. I was trying everything out. And I was really into playing with a metronome to a point where when I played out with a band, it would feel stiff. You know, and I think you just go through that phase of learning. And once you get over it, you understand how to be naturally, you know, cool with a click or just mm-hmm. not without a, not rushing or slowing down, making it feel natural, but still playing from your heart. Right. So I, technique really just helps you express whatever you hear in your head. You know, mm-hmm. certain things I hear in my head, I can't play it. You know, it was like, all right, I got to get the technique, <laughs> but I hear in my head, you know what I'm saying? That's a frustrating position to be in when you hear something, but you can't play it or you go to play it and you, you know, you flub through it. And that's, that's me every time I play, <laughs> I hear something like all the time, like, ah, I was you just know? thinking that about myself. I was like, this is basically my, my whole entire career. <laughs> it's probably because we're our own, our own uh, worst critics. Yeah. You know? So, but yeah, I'm, I understand the argument, but. At this point, I can with the technique I have, I can play sloppy if I want to. Mm-hmm. I, I just consciously play sloppy, right. you know, and, you know, or I can play in the middle of the beat, like right down, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think what it does is just not just technique, but even learning how to read it. It opens the doors for more types of gigs. Like I do certain gigs, um, like if I do a movie, it's all charts, it's all written out. Mm-hmm. Or if I couldn't read, I wouldn't be able to get the call for that. So that's one less gig, right? And movie. A lot of money. They pay residuals, and you know, right? Yeah. So why like, not? Why not put yourself in the best position to work? Yeah. Yeah. When my some of my friends only do big pop gigs, and that's it. But I do club gigs. I play jazz gigs. Mm-hmm. I play gigs. You know, the one thing I regret, and I'm a good friend of uh, with Harvey Mason. He still does a lot of percussion stuff. He does a lot of movies on timpani and malice. He just played with the London Symphony Orchestra. He played timpani. Really? The feature timpanist with the London Symphony, like last week or two weeks ago. Huh. He just sent me some pictures of him with, you know, with his tux on, with the tail. <laughs> right, right, right. Most drummers can't do that. You know sure. what I'm saying? And I'm kicking myself in the butt for like once I moved to L.A., I was like, I'm a drummer. I just I should have kept playing mallets. I could I played four mallets in college. I played marimba. I was OK on buys, but definitely like timpani and stuff. There's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Harvey mm-hmm. will never be without a gig. Either he's playing drum set on his solo stuff or with foreplay or he's playing the Emmys, playing timpani. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So like have your wheelhouse open so you can do everything like Mm -hmm. and down. I remember having lunch with Ndugu Chancellor and he was saying that now, and this is, these are his words, not, you know, not mine, but he's saying that, you know, now people don't want to do club dates. They don't want to do weddings. They don't want to do, you know, quote unquote casuals. He was like, most drummers don't own a suit or a tuxedo, you know, and they're, because they're like, they're against that. And he's like, man, I would go, and record with Michael Jackson and literally leave and drive and play a wedding that night. 
He's like, because I'm a professional and that's what I do. Yeah. People clown me because I do that. I go yeah. from, uh, I never forget a couple years ago, I was playing with Jonathan Butler and they know I work all the time. We played Newport Jazz Festival and I was like, all right, I'm out. And they were like, were you going to play at a club? And I actually was just going to see my friend at a club that <laughs> night. But because they knew that, they knew, like, they know I'm like, I got bills. I got a mortgage. I got a kid. I got to work, you know. But what's, I mean, what's, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with it. You know, I think a lot of times people get to a certain level professionally and they're like, I only do these types of gigs. And I only do that. And I only do this. And I still carry my own drum sometimes. I got a tech in town, but sometimes it's like it doesn't pay enough. I just carry it myself. You know what I'm saying? Right, sometimes right. I don't carry my own drums. I let Carter, like, oh, that's that's a piece of crap. <laughs> if you ask me, we're real life in, in the plays. Like, we all have bills and we all, and those big gigs don't, they don't last all the time. So mm -hmm. you got to keep everything going. Right. I, you know, it's, I, I sort of uh, liken that to when people are like, I just want to be a professional musician and all I want to do is play music full time. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, right now you don't have any, you know, or you got one gig or two gigs and you're making $150 a week. And it's like, why don't go get a day gig? Like at least pay, drive Uber. <laughs> yeah, at Uber. least drive for Uber. <laughs> yeah. Because like, at the end of the day, the bills have to be paid. There's no exactly. Way and you I, know. I think that I, and I, I would like to get your opinion on it. That I think a lot of people wear the, a lot of that as a badge of honor. Like, oh, I don't, I don't play, I don't carry my own drums, right? Or you know, I'm, I, all I do is play music, and it's like, well, you got two gigs a month, right? Yeah, like, not, what else are you doing? What are you doing the rest of your time, right? You know, yeah, it's. I think it's just grandstanding, basically. <laughs> yeah, I call it day on the hype, day yeah. on the hype. So how like, do you how do you deal with that when you like you said people are clowning you for for playing a a club date or or any like would you you'd play a wedding wouldn't you yeah, yeah. I deal with it taking that check to the bank <laughs> and paying my mortgage <laughs> and my studio rent it doesn't it doesn't to me I've never really been bothered by peer pressure like I'm like they can say what they want but they're not paying my bills I like it you know, it's just it's just you got to pay I prefer. I mean, oh, back in the day, because I've been in L.A. 24 years now, mm -hmm. back in the day, I was playing almost every night of the week. Right. You know, and right. each gig, you know, L.A. gigs, a club gig may pay between 100 and 150. You're playing mm -hmm. four hours, three sets. You know what I'm saying? I get it. But <laughs> I kind of, <laughs> I just got tired of doing that. Yeah. So I, I don't do it as much, but I still do it if people call, you know, mm -hmm. and a lot, now there's a few clubs in L.A. that have drums there. So if, if they have drums, I'm like, all right. Yeah. You know. I mean, hundred fifty dollars, hundred fifty dollars. If you're like, oh, I'm just going to be home anyway. Yeah. I'll just go do that, exactly. and you know. or I'm already going to be there hanging out because I like hanging out anyway. <laughs> right. so they're just watching whoever. I might as well get paid. <laughs> right. So instead I of still, spending money while you're there, yeah. But it's more so just the reality of survival. Like you got to eat, and people get caught up. And I had to tell my family this sometimes because most of my family's on the on the East Coast. Everybody's mm -hmm. pretty much in New York. Yeah. Whenever they see me, it's on TV. Or they see me doing a gig somewhere on YouTube. Or, so they think I gig all the time. I'm like, I might do two or three gigs a month because I'm not touring right now. Right. And that's it. So you're, it's actually false what you're seeing. You're getting a false sense because every time you see me, I'm on TV. But I'm not on TV every day. Right. So like you said, what do you do on the downtime? Like you got to do something to keep eating. Sure, sure. And I, like if you don't play, you don't eat, period. It's not that's like, it. right. you know. So you mentioned that you're not, you're not touring now. Is that you... You're purposely not touring. You're saying you're not touring, or you you just don't happen to be on tour right now. I'm purposely not touring. I'm consciously not touring. Ah, I uh, a couple years ago because I'm a producer too. Mm -hmm. I tried to do both for 20 years, like on the tour bus with my stuff in the back lounge of the bus. <laughs> right. 
But people is a perception thing out here and what people perceive you as in their mind, you can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. So even though most people know me as a drummer, I'm like, I produce too. And they're like, oh, okay. So I consciously said, you know what? They're like, whatever, drummer. <laughs> Pretty much. That was it. You know? So um, I decided like, you know what? I want to produce. I want to create. I want to just do something else. And I want to make more money. Like production is just more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the industry has changed. Record sales aren't right. as much, but there's still money to be made. Right. You know? Right. A production gig, I might do a song and get anywhere from maybe, and it's a low end, five to 10 grand. Right. You know? I do demos for people and not all the time, but I do them and they'll give me two grand for a song that took me an hour to do. Right. And how does that compare to like a big tour? Big tours for one, they don't pay like they used to. Yeah, I know. And big tours now like pop R and B, you might get three grand around three grand a week. Mm-hmm. And that's not guaranteed. Some people right. I know get 500 a week, you know, right. Some I've been on, I made 4,000, 4,500 a week for a couple years. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. But they don't pay. Most of them don't pay like that anymore. And you got to think if you do that, even if you're getting five thousand a week, you might do that for ten. I mean, for two two months, three months. Mm-hmm. Tour is over. So right. what do you do? So it's, to me, it's always the next grind. And I did it. I straight toured from ninety three to twenty thirteen. Every single year, I was out with somebody. Right. Twenty years. So that's when I was like, you know, I always produced and. Just nobody took me seriously. Even managers I had, I'm like, you know, I'm producing. I got, they're like, are you still on the road? Like, it's just two different beasts. Right. And they don't, as a producer, if you're a musician. Right. That reminds me of, you know, a lot of people saying, well, I wanted to do studio work, but I'm always on the road. So they don't bother calling me because they just figured that I'm on the road or vice versa. You know, they'll call me for the, they, I'm, a, I'm looked at as a studio guy, you right. know, and I can't go, because I think that's an older, older thing in LA. Um, Not, it's still it's there. Still happening. I, the last tour I did, I was 2013. I was I did American Idol, but I was also playing with uh, Philip Phillips, who won Idol the year before. Mm-hmm. Phillips and the last tour I did, we opened for John Mayer. His right. drummer on the tour was Aaron Sterling, who's a beast. He's yeah, a big yeah, set. Yeah. He said his first tour ever was that John Mayer tour in 2013. He's been to LA forever. Yeah. Did you ever hear the story about him? That like John Mayer was like, you're going on tour. And he was like, I don't tour. And John Mayer's like, you're going on tour. Yeah. That check showed up. He was like, all right. (laughs) Yep. Where do I end up, boss? Right. Now we're good. That's my boy now. But he's a a fantastic drummer too. So there's, and for me, I feel like even though now there's, there's YouTube and all kind of video and Instagram, to me, for years, the legacy of drummers or of just musicians, period, or artists, is making records, playing on records. Is right. like your leg. It's changed now because of social media. You can kind of just look them up on YouTube. Right, right, but, right. But even now, all the old stuff that we listen to, from Elvin to Buddy Rich to it's records. And I wanted to play on more records too. So it was like, if I stay home, I can play on more records. Sure. I can produce, and I'm doing my own record too. I'm doing, I'm doing my own first solo thing as an nice. artist. Nice. So. I'm producing a couple new groups on the production side. And I'm still fighting through that wall of people. You know, it's funny. I almost get an attitude when I'm somewhere and people introduce me as a drummer. Like, he's a bomb drummer. I'm like, man, I'm a producer, too. You know, right. the yeah. only way to, to actually do it. So I actually turned down a few considerably nice gigs to stay home and, like, really focus on this and make have, you know, longevity as a producer. And I still do dates. I'm going out with right. Jeff Lorber this weekend. Not this weekend. Next weekend. Oh, are you? With Aslip and Paul Jackson, Everhart. So I was out with Jeffrey Osborne a couple weeks ago, and I still do dates with Philip Phillips sometimes. So I'm still playing, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm just creating my own lane as opposed to having to wait 
on a gig, you know, and yeah, then yeah. not to deter any drummer or anybody from wanting to do tours because for years that's all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But I know at some point you're always you got to please the artist. At any point, the artist can change his mind and just switch bands. And it's yeah. happened with some of our really famous friends that they just like, I want another band. And the mm-hmm. gig that you put your blood, sweat, and tears into, the artist just changed their mind. Sure. And for me, I didn't want to be subject to that, subjected to that. I was like, you know, I want to be a, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. So I was like, right. I want to create my own thing. If, if it doesn't happen, it's because I didn't do something. It's not because, you know, even I always tell people this story. I was touring with Earth, Wind & Fire. And I just put a down payment on my first house. <laughs> and now it's 17 years later. And we're out on tour. I spent every cent I had paying my car note off. Right. All my to get so I can get this loan. And I put the down payment on the house. And I'm using this tour with Earth, Wind & Fire and Barry White. That'll be the rest of my down payment for the house. Halfway into the tour, Barry White gets sick. And he goes home. And we're out in Europe. Like, Luckily, Earth, Wind & Fire kept us out. And they just had some people opening up for us. I thought we were going home. It could have so been just... I- done yeah i wouldn't have had that house and and that wasn't even the artist i was playing with that was the artist that was on the tour with us he got right. sick and so it's like the touring game or just this game in general is just you never know anything could happen especially dealing with famous artists and celebrities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially younger ones because they're not always that bright they do stuff that you know <laughs> so i always tell my friends if you want to do it you got to have a passion because i've been on my way to the airport and they were like turn around gig is canceled I've never had a full tour get canceled on me, but I've seen people cancel stuff, cancel gigs, right? cancel tours to do a bigger tour, and then that tour gets canceled, and now it's too late to get back on the other tour because they, you know. Jeez. So it, so I just, and I ain't trying to tear nobody down because I love touring, and I, right. you know, I just was like, you know what? Now is the, the time for me to stay home, focus on my production, play on records, and just build my own thing that I'm in control of. But I think, it, I mean, it all comes down to, like, to happiness and control, you know what I right. mean? Like I, I understand what you're saying about about touring, and not that I was getting calls for like Earth, Wind, and Fire or anything, but I know that when I'm getting calls to do a tour, if the money's not right, I don't want to be in a position where I have to go on the road because I need the money. That too. I yeah. would rather be in a position where I'm like, you know what? I'm good. I'm gonna stay home and I'm gonna keep doing my thing. And if another tour, like if John Mayer calls me, I'm gonna go on the road. You know? Right. But like, <laughs> right. But if if it's like, hey man, it's you know. 300 bucks a week in a van i'm like man i I did that for i did that before for years you know so i'm gonna i'm gonna pass and keep running my business at home well that was one of the things too that i was like you know what i'm cool the last tour we did you know certain tour not to throw any artists or anybody under the bus certain tours um if it's like especially like new artists you don't get hotel rooms on show days like you're on the tour bus all day at the venue you got a shower at the venue right i don't even give you day rooms no and they could have you know but, you know, days off, of course, we were, you know, the nicest of hotels. Our right. bus was nice. But the beginning of that one tour, there were two buses. The artist had his bus and the band had a bus and they split the crew between the two buses. Right, right. The second, when I left and I came back, it was one bus, everybody on one bus, no back lounge. It was just dr- a drag. And we're at the we're at the venue all day um, just sitting there. I was like, you know. What tour was it? I can't tell you. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> if you listen back to this podcast, you can figure it out. It all was right. the last bit. <laughs> but, uh um and it was nothing bad and actually the pay was good the pay was good i just was like yo i don't want to sit in a venue all day and we have to shower in certain vi- and we didn't like the bigger cities all have new arenas we're playing arenas right. they all have new so the shower everything is new but we did the b markets on that tour so it was like the smaller towns with old arenas we're showering you got to shower with flip-flops and you got to share the shower with the whole band and crew right. and the art 
you know. So if it's four or shower, it's cool. Some some where the big open, you know, you're in a you know, like a locker room. Yeah, yeah. We're like, take turns. We're sorry, we were calling them Sanduskies, but you know, <laughs> sorry. Uh, they were like, "What? Which shower is it today? Uh, we got the Sandusky." Oh no! Long story, but <laughs> I, just, like, I was doing this 20 years ago. Like, of course, I've done. They have to do this. I don't want to do it, so mm-hmm. I just I'm not going back out. And you don't have to, you know. So, so you're never I, going always, out again? No, no, no. I would. Oh. Yeah, oh, okay. and it depends. And yeah. I, like I said, I still do dates. Mm-hmm. You know, I, last year was it last year? Yeah, I was. I did a bunch of dates with Daughtry. I was playing with Daughtry yeah. for a while. That's awesome. So I do dates. I just right now I'm trying to build something else for me. And now because I'm working on my record, I want to be able to tour with as an artist. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You know, on the jazz circuit. You know what I was just thinking? I th- I saw you with Philip Phillips mm-hmm. at uh, were you? Did you do the tour with OAR? Did I do that tour? I think I did. You guys were opening for OAR. Um, I think it was at P- PNC Bank in in New Jersey a while ago. This is probably two years ago, three years ago. No, that wasn't me. It wasn't you. Okay. The last tour, I, the last full tour I did with Philip was John Mayer. We opened for John Mayer. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, I, that was a while ago. So were you was, on that tour before or after Felix? I put Felix on the gig. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I, I was doing it. See, basically, we're, I was doing I do America, Well, I was doing American Idol every summer, the summer tours. Well, that's what I was going to ask you how that connection was, because I know Felix was do, like rehearsing the band for right. American Idol too, right? Well, no, Felix does, when the show was on, which I think it may be coming back, they have different things where they rehearse the, the idols. Felix does that like pre- before they actually get to the show. Right. He was doing that. He never did the tour. Aaron Spears was actually doing the actual summer tours. Okay. And then he got locked up with Usher and he asked me to do it. Right. Right. I ended up doing three years of American Idol, three summers. Mm-hmm. But um, Philip Phillips won Idol. Right. So the when you're on the tour, always has like, you got to do radio spots. And so just the artist, the winner and the band, we went and did like TV shows, Good Morning America, um, different things, iHeart. Um, radio mm-hmm. and I was actually the musical director whenever we did that because the MD of the tour just didn't want to um, he didn't feel like doing the extra dates <laughs> so <laughs> he made me MD so once that tour was over Philip got another tour and I was the MD mm. so but then when American Idol went back out the following year I wanted to go back to Idol because that that gig for the band is like plush like yeah. they take care <laughs> it's like it's like we're the artists this <laughs> is the band so right good um, I, I put Felix on Philip Phillips, because I knew I was going back to Idol. I got you. And when Felix left, I came back to Philip once that you. tour was over. Okay. Yeah. Because I knew that there was like there was a a connection there. I know Felix really well, and Felix, if you're listening, I love you, man. So yeah, dude, he's uh, my- that guy has been very instrumental in a lot of things for me, man. I owe I owe a lot to him. Love that dude. Yeah, that's my man. Um, so. I want to backtrack a little bit. You were talking about uh, this is sort of changing the topic, but we were talking about being being your worst critic. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with not being too hard on yourself, where you're discouraging yourself and and you're sort of in that vein of like I'm I suck, I'm horrible, I'm never going to get any gigs, but stay, but also being hard enough on yourself to where you keep getting better and you're you're critical of your playing, but not overcritical, right? Um, good question. I had one of my students yesterday, am I talking about that? Cause he's in his head and he can really play. He got chops, pocket, everything. Mm-hmm. Part of it is just confidence and knowing that I know how to play. Like if I listen back or, um, and it's something I think you develop over the years too, of just playing with a lot of people. Right. It's the confidence in yourself that I know I'm good. I know that my pocket is solid. Mm-hmm. I know I got chops and stuff or things I need to work on. 
but I know overall that I'm a decent player. I know I'm solid. I can play with people. People like playing with me, you know. So I think it's probably an internal confidence, just mental. And you play better when you're confident. I know I do. Now, nowadays, like I was telling my student, uh, I've only played with Jeff Lorber once. We did a George Duke tribute in uh, Indonesia at the Java Jazz. Mm -hmm. So he's been calling me ever since. And I just was never available. So this this gig now I'm doing it will be my first time playing with him as, you know, with his band. And Jimmy Haslip is like, you know, Yellow Jackets. He's a bass legend. I never played with him either. But at this point in my career, I'm confident. For one, I did my work, so I knew the music. We had rehearsal the other day. Right. So I I knew the music, and I'm just confident. And I can see after beat one, like, Jimmy didn't know me either. But after beat Mm -hmm. one, looked at me like, he gave me the nod of approval. Like (laughs) He can play. Yeah, and it's just confidence. I wasn't overplaying. I was playing two and four. Sure. You know, I think to answer that question probably would be, you got to practice and you got to be good. And we never get in our mind to where we really want to be. Right. But I know I can play. I know I can hold a beat mm-hmm. down. Cool. I know it's grooving. And especially when you play in front of people that, to me, music is made for people that don't know music. It's made, for, I call them civilians. For yeah. The general. I, yeah, I do too. <laughs> so a lot of us play for other musicians, but none of them really buy records. None of them really, you know, as opposed to the general. So as long as the general public, as long as they're dancing, I feel like I'm doing my job. So right. if I'm playing... I see them, you know, I'm cool. And we're always going to be extra critical of each other because we know what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But long masses feel what I'm playing, I'm cool. So I use that as confidence. Like, I like that. If I'm playing and nobody's moving, nobody's head, then I'm like, okay, you know, what am I doing? So what about the what about younger players that are going on YouTube and they're watching someone like you or they're watching somebody like Eric Moore or they're watching somebody like Aaron Sterling or, you know, or anybody that – is just at a just an insane level and they're thinking man i'm never i'm, I'm just not gonna i'm never gonna be able to play like that you know mm-hmm. like and then they're gonna get into the practice room they're gonna get inside their head and then they're gonna try to play all that stuff and it's not gonna work and it's mm-hmm. like all right i suck you know let me let me run out of this practice room or right whatever you know i mean because i think it's different for you knowing like you've played with all of these people so you have that confidence what about for the cats that are that are coming up and they're they're seeing all of these great players on youtube and they're sort of getting discouraged well it's a development thing cuz i didn't always feel like this you know especially mm-hmm. when you well, i'm from new york so just moving out here i right. came here from i was in college in dc and i moved here so i'm you know a little fish in a big pond at that point mm-hmm. but it is a it, there is a process of developing being confident, but even if you know like one thing that I and it's maybe some of my parents instilled in me just just whatever you're doing do it to the best of your ability. If right. I know I'm doing it to the best of my ability, um, I'm just gonna I've never been afraid. Even as a kid now, as a kid I grew up in this church, uh, Church of God in Christ, and we used to go to all these conventions. I don't know if you know Robert C. Wright's but from yeah. Stock- yeah, I had him on the podcast too, actually. Yeah, Doobie Powell. Um, who else is there? So many like great musicians. We all grew up since probably eight or nine, all from different areas of the country. But these conventions would meet in one city every summer. Oh, okay. I was never afraid to get on the drums, and I think it was confident. Even if I knew I couldn't play as good as that person, mm-hmm. I was confident in what I could play. Even if it was like doom, cat, cat, doom, doom, cat. Right. And I, that's why I said I don't know if it's something my parents instilled in me. And I've never been cocky. I'm humble because I think I believe I have a gift and I it came from God. I believe that. Mm-hmm. But I've always been confident enough to know, even if I'm playing two and four, that I can play that song. You know, right. so I think to answer your question, the number one thing is never say I can't. I'm never going to do that. Like, just speak of that into existence. The, the part 
about watching all those other drummers. Part of it, it can be hype and it can be intimidating because I get intimidated watching. <laughs> but what yeah. I try to do is what I try to do is learn the mechanics of what the drummers are playing. If it's a certain lick, I try to watch what beat their hand is hitting, like on the snare, on the tom. Right. And I just learn the pattern. The key is don't try to play it fast like they play it. Of course. Try to play, oh, I'm telling you, I go through this. every. I work at MI once a week, every Tuesday. That's my whole day. Slow it down. <laughs> right. Stop trying to play it at tempo. Figure out the You got to get it on a shirt and just point to it. Yeah. I think and Dave Elich actually has a shirt that says slow down and he wears it when he really? teaches. Yeah. yeah, he just did a clinic at MI. It was dope. I was actually at his clinic. Oh, okay. Couple- yeah, he's a monster player too. Yeah, he is. But I just, if like, if, right, if the snare hits on one on the snare and then the E of two is on the rack one and then three on it, whatever, just figure it out slow. Where does it go? Mm-hmm. Slow it down. You know what I mean? Right. And just mechanics. Once you get the mechanics, just do it over and over and over. And after a while, usually within five minutes, you already sped up, you know, a yeah. couple beats, you know. So figure out the mechanics slowly. Mm-hmm. If it's like you feel like an idiot doing it. It's all about the mechanics. And that's one thing that I've learned over the years, too. I can watch pretty much any drummer. If I rewind it enough times, I can see what they're doing. And I'll mm-hmm. count it out, see where their foot's, where the kick hits, where, where everything hits. I'll figure the lick out, and I'll just slow it all the way down to right. slow it. And then I speed it up. And after a while, I'm playing it just like they're playing it. Well, so part I, of it is oh, – oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I thought you finished. Go ahead. Yeah, I, you, I think part of it is just, it's just in your head, like just mm-hmm. – I can do whatever if I practice. Right. I can't figure something out. Rewind it one million times until <laughs> yeah. I see it. And if take if it if it means to take one drum at a time or one bar at a time, just learn that one bar and mm-hmm. then rewind that one bar. Rewind. Learn the next bar and put the two bars together. Yeah. And after a while, playing that full lick at speed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. At at the fast tempo. I I think it's a for what things that I've experienced. It's like it's e it's ego. And it's sort of like, oh, I should already be able to play this. And then right. it's also being impatient. So you're because I, I always I've seen and you I know you've seen this a thousand times. Mm. They'll take a lick. Someone will take a lick. They'll play it, at, you know, whatever, 50 beats a minute. And it's like, right. da, 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 da. And then they go from 50 to 110, mm-hmm. you know, and they're like, oh, I can't play it. I can't, you know, it's like, well, why don't you go to 55? Right. And they go to 60 and then 62. Yeah. And I think that if people started practicing that way, they would realize they're getting faster a lot or they're getting better a lot faster. Right. And they really know that lick inside and out. Right. Right. And the other, the other thing too is once you, if you're doing it at 50, don't do it at 50 for 10 seconds. Do <laughs> right. it at 50 for two minutes. Just yeah. do it at for two minutes. Cause it's muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Your muscle is going to memorize what you do on what beat. And it's going to just do it at 50 for two minutes every day. You know what I'm saying? Right. By the end of the and then to keep speeding, what I was taught, too, is once you get it, at the end of whatever you're doing, do, like, say it's flam paradiddles. Do flam paradiddles at that tempo. At the end, just push yourself to see how fast you can go. Mm-hmm. But when you're actually doing it as a regiment, do it at one tempo. Do it for a long time until your hands really get used to – your muscle gets used to whatever it's playing. You know what I mean? Right, right. You had yeah. mentioned being watching YouTube and being intimidated by drummers. Who are some cats that are, that are intimidating to you? Uh, Ronald Bruner, yeah, Chris Coleman, Eric, and, and I'm I'm not intimidated to the point where I'm like, oh, I just know, like, man, they there's some killers. Calvin Rogers is another one. Mm-hmm. Blazing the stuff they're playing is so crazy. I just know for me, 
I've learned to be able to watch and pick stuff out and figure out what they're doing. And then, like I said, slow it. Exactly what I said a second ago. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff they play is so blistering fast. It's like, what is it? You know. So coincidentally, just, I was talking. I had Calvin on, and we were talking about sort of the same thing. And you know, Calvin ha- can play blistering fast and all that stuff. And you know, what we I, talked. I let, I let Vinny out. Vinny's like the all time. Well, of course, yeah. I think he's like. <laughs> I don't even yeah. know, I don't even know what he is. I don't I don't even consider him like a drum. He's like off. He's got yeah. it's like Steve Gadd and Vinny have like their own category. They're like their own peep their thing. Yeah. And then there's and then, and then there's the rest of the drummers. What's that? Vinny Chambers. Those are yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. yeah but, it's pretty nuts. So Calvin, speaking of that, like we were talking about like blazing chops and all this stuff. A lot of the stuff that we talked about on the podcast was taking mm-hmm. a groove and slowing it down to forty or fifty beats a minute and playing that for twenty minutes straight. Yep. You know, it's like the least sexy, like least, you know, flamboyant and amazing thing that you can do behind the kit. And Mm -hmm. it's the thing that's probably going to give you the biggest impact on your playing. It's just like chops wise and everything, everything. It's amazing. It's so it's because it's counterintuitive, you know, and you're like, how is this going to make me? It's like how I almost feel like how is walking really slow going to make me run faster? Right. You know, it's It's, like, well, if you can't because you can't run fast. (laughs) It's muscle memory. You got to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Calvin actually just did a clinic here at my church, too. Uh, oh, did he? A month ago. Yeah. So he talked about that in the clinic, too. He's, but an- yeah, he's another like, guy, man. I love that dude, too. So I like Chops, but I like guys that can make it fit in the music. And he's one of the guys that I texted him yesterday because I teach a gospel class at MI. Yeah. And I want to talk fi- to you about that, too. I have a question about that, but go ahead. Okay. For the final... I picked one of his songs that, you know, it's a performance. So they got to perform for the final. So it's so much stuff in there. So I actually took a video of the kids working on the song along with his video on YouTube on this big screen. I sent it to him and he was like, oh, and, you know, he says a huge compliment. But I'm like, dude, the stuff you're playing is technically hard. It's musically amazing. Right. And it fits. It's not overbearing. It's not overtaking the mm-hmm. lyrics. You know, it's like it's per- it's like I call him the gospel Vinny. It like fits. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still a drummer like you gotta practice that it ain't like mm-hmm. it ain't just four you know what i'm saying yeah more with gordon Campbell in a minute but first a word from our sponsors one line in the dream symbol family that i think is really cool is the dark matter family they have the flat earth the moon ride and the dark matter energy and although they're all made a little bit differently they all involve the dark matter process and this is really cool check this out they take a symbol that is already finished and then put it back in the oven hand hammer it and then shock it with cold water and then put it back in the oven and what happens is the ash and the soot from the oven are fused to the top layer of the metal which give it this really really unique sound and you know what? I want to let you hear exactly what this process does to assemble. Check them out. To learn more about Dream Symbols, their Dark Matter line, and all their great products, be sure to check out DreamSymbols.com. Hey, did you know that whether you're a full-time or a part-time musician, you can write off expenses that you have for drumming, sticks, heads, gas, 
tolls, all of that sort of stuff. Now, there's two options. You can track all those expenses by collecting all of your receipts in a shoebox and sifting through them at the end of the year, or you can get FreshBooks. FreshBooks is a great way for you to track your expenses. You can do it on the go, right from your phone, and you can also use it for tracking time, billing clients, and creating invoices in less than 30 seconds. The best part, you can try it for free today by going to freshbooks.com forward slash drummer, and be sure to enter drummer's resource in the how did you hear about us section. Start your free trial today with no credit card by going to freshbooks.com forward slash drummer. Now more with Gordon Campbell. The gospel class that you teach, I want to talk about that because I think there's a misconception about gospel drumming and people are like, oh, gospel drumming, you mean chops. Right. It's like, nope. no, it's a style. You, If you're talking about jazz, you're not just saying, you're not saying, oh, you know, you know, chops or whatever, you know, when jazz. Yeah. So talk to me about the, the course a little bit, what it, what it entails and what you think are some of the, the misconceptions about gospel music and about how you actually play gospel music rather than looking at it like, Oh, gospel chops. Right. Well, that whole situation, um, is, is because of social media, probably right. because of gospel chops, and I'm not disparaging them because it's, it's cool and it's, it's a cool thing. Right. The problem is the people that don't know gospel music only see that. They're not getting the full, you know. I always say it's compare. I compare it. I don't know if you know the N1 mixtape basketball yeah, players yeah, yeah. compared to NBA. All of those guys on N1, if you interview them separately, they all say, oh, yeah, I want to play in the league. Right. They're doing all those tricks, but sometimes they don't have the fundamentals to get them in the league. As good as they are, no team is looking for them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's sad <laughs> to say, but, you know, I'm not trying to be mean. But so people look at gospel chops as that, but they don't know gospel. So the first thing I do on the first day of the class, and this is only my second quarter teaching it. Mm-hmm. But the first thing I do is when I say gospel drumming or gospel drums, what do you think of? And the whole class starts waving their hands like this. All right. OK, we're going to dispel that myth in this class. And that's what I that's how I started. Right. And then I played two records, one with Joel Smith called Thank You, Lord, mm-hmm. which hit gospel song from um, the late 80s. And then I played. What, what was that? Again? A, you cut out for a second. Oh, there's a song called Thank You, Lord by Joel Smith. You know, Joel, he's yeah. up in Oakland. Yeah. He's like the gospel father of mm-hmm. gospel drum, period. And uh, I played Terry Baker on a Kirk Franklin album called Could Have Been Me. And it's grooving, it's funky, it's hits and everything. But it's, I said, do you hear one lick in there? Like one fast gospel? They were like, no. I'm like, this is what gospel, gospel music, first of all, gospel means spread the good news of Jesus Christ. So spreading the good news normally is through lyrics. Mm-hmm. It's not soloing. Like, and I play at church. I can't tell, I've never soloed at church and I've been in church for 46 years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I've never, if I did to do a solo, it's because they was like play, but it might've been one time. Right. Oh, it's, it's, it's gospel music, gospel music accompanies the singing. Mm-hmm. The band, what happened is over the years, the arrangements got more jazzy and they got more. And this is why I teach in my class did the, the evolution of gospel drumming where it is now. So because it's got more busy, more stuff, a lot of a lot, the culture is you have chops, but you play the chops in the fills. They still have to fit musically. Right. You know, and that's what I think Calvin mastered pretty much. Like mm-hmm. he still his thing. Like when drummers watch him, they're like, oh, my God. But it's not in the way of the song. Mm-hmm. Like it shouldn't be where you're playing chops throughout the song. And that's the thing with those shed videos and I like them cause I like the shed too. That's the wrong perception that people got. Cause they never seen a real gospel concert or they just think that's the whole time. Right. Most right. of the time you see the shed things is only drummers. It's not even a band situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It may be a bass player or it may be, but 
So in a real gospel situation where you're playing on a record or you're playing at a church service, it's a song with people singing. You can't do that through the whole song. Mm -hmm. So people get the wrong, (laughs) they just have the wrong perception of what it is. Well, you mean you can't just chop over the whole tune? No, you would, you would not be playing. You would not be on the kick. They would, they would literally kick you off the drums because there's always another drum somewhere. Right, right. Yeah, if you did that, you would get kicked, you would get fired. Right. (laughs) Gospel chops is just a thing. It's just like, it's like the M1 mixtape tour. It's something we get together to do to have fun. Yeah, I look at it like, it's like athletics. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's funny. It's like me who've been playing other stuff, Teddy Campbell, Nissan, Aaron Spears, Gerald Hayward. We play all types of gigs. We can do those licks because we grew up. Um, we grew up in that culture. Everybody right. around us play like that. So it's like you, you have to, you end up playing like that. But that's not what keeps us working. And I even I tell my students all of those chops that you see when you see those same drummers on big gigs. Are they doing them chops? Right. They're playing two and four. Right. Do you think Ron, that a lot that too many people are concentrating on the chops and not concentrating enough on the groove and the musicality? Yes, one thousand percent. Most of the guys yeah. that come because I give lessons here. I'm at my studio. Um, they want to learn gospel licks. I'm like, well, let me hear you groove first. Let me hear because yeah. you won't, won't be doing them licks anywhere if you can't groove. Nobody's right. going to groove, you know, and certain gigs ask for you to do those licks, but most don't. So right. you want to have them in your back pocket in case whenever the artist wants you to open up or the MD says, like, I need you to fill that space up right there. Put something right there. Outside of that, the groove is number one. Right. So All if you got- think that if you think that, why is that? Why? Like, not why is the groove number one? Why? Why are more and more people just focused on chops and not focused on music? Just because it's flashy and it's hard technically to do. Right. So it's just, it's just flashy. People gravitate to the flashiness as opposed to the meat and potatoes, you know? I think it's harder to play a ballad at 50 beats a minute than to play nines over the toms in your feet. Musically speaking, it is. And what's even harder is when you have those facilities to do that and you know you can pull something off and come out on one and not do it. <laughs> and not do it. The discipline of that, is, you know, and, and it's funny, I'm going back to the animal mixtape thing because sometimes on the NBA team, they want you to do the basic fundamental bounce pass or just mm-hmm. chest. You, it's not always called for that because somebody probably will steal the ball. Or if they yeah. do, you look see it. It's the same thing. To be disciplined enough, you know you can do that. You know you can Steph Curry or Kyrie Irving, but you know, at this point, you had the discipline to like, okay, I should just do it once and pass it straight because right. that's effective. Right. The discipline to be able to not do what you know you can do and make happen is harder. So I always say it's a blessing and a curse to have chops because I know I can do a lick and I'll come out and it might not get in the way. But is it necessarily necessary at that point musically? Like, is it adding anything? Right. So you know, don't do it. That, it's hard to discipline yourself to do that. Of course. Do you ever, have you ever heard of uh, Tex Winter? Yeah. The from the tri the triangle offense. Triangle, of course. The Bulls and the Lakers. Yeah. So yeah. his whole thing was sort of what you were just talking about is fundamentals. So yeah. they would, you know, somebody would turn their foot the different the different way and he'd be like, Nope, stop, go back, redo it. And it's like yeah. you're talking about like Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, John Stockton. And he's like, No. What does they have nine? They got nine rings yeah. between the Lakers Bulls. Yeah. That's you know, winner. Yeah. And it's <laughs> it like is what it- and he's like, no, that bounce pass is wrong. You have to do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. It's not like we're going to work on dunks and, you know, we're going to work on 360 dunks and, right. you know, dribbling between our legs. It's like, no, that's right. not what we're going to work on. We're going to work on the fundamentals. That stuff is cool. I like it. I like right. chops, all of that. And I use them. I do use them live. Of course. But I use my discipline 
to know when to turn that off. I did. I, I was funny. I do some gigs. I was doing a gig with this um, smooth jazz artist, and it's smooth jazz, so it doesn't call for like gospel chops. Right. So I turn. I can turn it off because I have vocabulary. I can play other stuff. Mm-hmm. So one night I just felt like we were in Japan, and I'm soloing on the same song at the same time every night. The same song solo. The last night of the show. I didn't consciously say I'm going to kill a solo. I just felt like playing more. So I opened up. Everybody in the band was like, yo, we didn't know you could play like that. They didn't even know I can do that because I really? don't, I just, oh, yeah. And I just start opening up. on, And I would solo before, you know, from my heart, just whatever I felt. But mm-hmm. that night I felt like, you know, what, I'm about to like. You got to let it loose a little bit. Yeah. And I did. And they were looking like, and that, on the stage, they were like, whoa. They were like, Gordon, Kel, give it up. They were like, <laughs> so he was like, I knew you had another another gear but i didn't know it was like that like oh my god you know right. what i'm saying because i used the discipline enough to play within the context of the music mm-hmm. and on my dvd i talk about that the music dictates what you play you don't dictate what the music is right so if it doesn't call for me to do a fast lick or i have enough discipline to turn it off and i have other basic licks that i can do that will fill that same space up mm-hmm. i can go i got them or something like that as opposed to i don't have to do that all the time sure I, it, it's uh, I I almost equate it to like learning all these big words and just right. using them all the time and st- but you can't put a regular sentence together exactly or you got to know when to use the big words and you got to you you yeah. know you have to know when to not use the big words right and now a lot of that comes with growth and discipline and I was um, blessed enough to play with older guys when I was in college mm-hmm. who would tear into me if I you know the band leader the band I played with in college I would go home some nights like I wanted to quit yeah. But, it taught me certain things. You know, he would be like, dude, your groove is killing, but every time you do a fill, you're rushing the fill, and then you come back to the groove and you slow down a little bit. Like, he told me that. And I'm thinking I'm killing the audience. Right. People buy me drinks, and they're like, yeah, <laughs> I can talk to you for a second. So everybody don't have that person, but I had that guy that pulled me to the side. He was a sax player. He wasn't a drummer. Mm-hmm. But he what this what the music was supposed to be, even to the point where I bought a piccolo. This is back in the 80s when piccolo was out, like 89, 90. Yeah. And I spent, I'm in college. I don't have no money. I saved like eighty dollars to get a Remo Piccolo. I brought it to the to the gig, and it was too high pitch. It was too loud. He was like, "Dude, I need you to never bring that drum in this club." <laughs> I'm like, "But I just bought this. It's like it's a Piccolo. Bring and, it back." <laughs> yeah, he was like, "You got to play in context. Bring the other snare because it's deeper." Is is he said that every time you hit the snare, it's like that. It's scaring people. Right. But as a drummer, I'm in my drum head. I'm not thinking that. But him telling me that, I thought about like, you know what? I got to be in context with whatever the gig calls for. Mm-hmm. That little club I was in, the restaurant, didn't call for a piccolo. It was just too loud. It was just cutting through. I had it's obnoxious. Too- <laughs> yeah, it was obnoxious. And it was like, okay. So now I'm thinking not just playing wise, but I'm thinking which drums am I bringing? Even if I got one kit, if I got to tune the snare, if I got one snare, tune it down for this type of gig. Tune mm-hmm. it up for this. I'm thinking context musically and the whole bigger picture as opposed to just me on my drum set. And, I, you know, that's such a hard thing, too, when you're a younger player. If say you're playing whatever, you're in a rock band and then you get hired for like, you know, a jazz gig or something to mm-hmm. know. All right. What symbols do I bring? What snare am I supposed to bring? Like mm-hmm. you can't stroll in there with like your 24 inch bass drum and like your huge concert toms to play this this combo gig. Right. <laughs> you know, and like learning those lessons, I think a lot of times you just got to make the mistake and like you got to bring the piccolo snare to the smooth jazz gig or whatever. Like sometimes you got to do that. But yeah. to avoid that, how do you suggest people do it? Do you think that do you think the best listen. way is to like listen and then what's that? Yeah. 
I was being funny. I said, listen to this podcast. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, that's a know, good that, I, I like that. That's a good one. What I do is if I get called for gig and as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, I toured with Jessica Simpson mm-hmm. and we did a pop tour. So that was one thing. But her last album that came out in 2009 was a country record, like cut in Nashville right. with all the Nashville players, um, the top Nashville producers. And it was it was a real country album. So what I do is I listen to everything in that style because it was a country album. And we actually toured with Rascal Flatts. We opened for Rascal Flatts. Oh, nice. So I bought Rascal Flatts' greatest hits. I mm-hmm. listened to everything. And I really over I overanalyzed. I listened to the, how the bass sound. I listened to the drum set. Most of the, you know, a lot of their snares are deep on a lot of songs. So I'm like, okay, I need a deeper snare. I just listen to whatever is in that style of music. If it's a smooth jazz gig, I'll get some smooth jazz records. Mm-hmm. You know, And nowadays... Everything is on YouTube. You just look it up on YouTube. You know, even Jeff Lorber, he sent me the music. I'm looking for Jeff Lorber live to right. see how they put Gary Novak on, on drums. Because most of the stuff we're doing, Gary Novak played the record. Okay. So okay. I'll try to find everything live with them playing live. And I'll see what kind of kit he has, what kind of cymbals. Yeah. He has, you know, and everybody doesn't always have, like, I'm endorsed. I've been endorsed for years, so I have a lot of stuff. Everybody doesn't always have that. You might have <clears throat> one ride, a couple crashes, one snare, you know, one kit. If, if it comes down to me just tuning my snare differently, I'll tune the one snare I have right. to try to be at least in context with the style of music that I'm playing. Mm-hmm. But a lot of me knowing how it sounds, it's just getting those CDs or going on YouTube or iTunes right. and listening to those records. Right. And well, I analyze. That's a now. I mean, yeah, with YouTube and like I remember getting like VHS tapes in the mail like learn this, you know, and you're like, okay, and you put it in, you rewind it and what now you can just look it up on YouTube and everything yeah. is so easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, I, now. and I still brought a, a, a six inch splash to an organ trio gig. Oh, did you? Right. I was <laughs> like, I literally like set it up on the, on the stand and the organ right. player was like, what are you, what are you doing with that thing? Right. I was like, but no, I'm going to play it. He's like, don't just take it off. Mm-mm. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> I was like, come on. No. I felt yeah. like you. I was like, come on, man. This thing's awesome. He's like, not right. for this gig. It's not. Right. So you learn what to bring for certain gigs, you know, and yeah. what what works and what doesn't work. Sure. And a lot of it comes with experience. But like you said, for those that haven't had that yet, I would just listen to that style of music mm-hmm. and see what if it's a straight ahead gig, I'll start listening to some Tane, some Jeff Watts, some Elvin, some um, Max Rowe. I'll listen to all different types of stuff. I actually used to like Louis Belson a lot. He was grooving. Yeah. Louis was grooving, yeah, but man. Uh, it's so many different cats. I'll just listen to them for like a week, you know, mm-hmm. just to like get my brain in the right headspace and see what kind of symbols they bring and, you know. Just absorb you know, it all. Yeah, know that the bass drum on most straight ahead gigs is, is usually 18 or 20. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times with no pillow or nothing in it, it's kind of open and, you know. Right. So I learned that I listen to learn the, and I analyze to get the, the characteristics of the drums in that setting. Mm-hmm. And, and part of it to me is like an ode and it's like paying respect to the music. Right. There's another part of me that's like, dude, you playing something a little bit different might bring something different to the table. That's what made Bird and Miles different when they started playing bebop. And everybody was like, what are y'all playing? They thought it was crap. But now right. it's like, because they, they ventured off and did something a little bit different than everybody else. Yep. So maybe bringing a 24-inch to a jazz gig, but playing it, and, you know, it could work. You just got to be, number one, you should be conscious of what the normal style sounds like. I should know that this what, this is what they normally use in country. I'm mm-hmm. consciously doing something different because I want to try a different sound. I want to try to experiment. Right. I'm not doing it because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm doing it because I want right. to do this. And there's a difference when people do stuff and I'm like, they have no clue. Or there's other people I can hear like, oh, yeah, they know what they're doing. They're just trying something different. You know, you right. can almost feel it and hear it. 
and they're playing, you know. Sure, sure. So uh, there was there was one thing that that I wanted to ask you about. I want to, I want to be respectful of your time, but mm-hmm. about the fact that you play all these different styles and you you know you get hired for a Jessica Simpson gig and then you you know then you're playing with Jeff and then you know you'll do a pop gig and then you'll do this thing. So I want to talk about learning those styles and advice for learning those styles. Uh, and, and I'm more curious, not necessarily how you practice them, but how you mentally conceptualize them. Like, are you compartmentalizing all that stuff? Are you saying, okay, I'm going to learn. I mean, when you were younger, all right, I'm going to learn jazz. I'm going to learn funk. I'm going to learn rock. I'm going to learn country. Or was it just, or did you sort of put everything together? Um, because yeah. I think younger, and the reason why I ask is because younger players because I, I remember the the struggles and the frustrations that I had when I was a younger player of saying there's so much to le- there's so many styles to learn which one's the right one to learn what right. how how am I going to learn how do I learn rock funk fusion jazz Latin like how do I learn all of this stuff you know at the same time or you know or for or over my the course of my life right you know? um it's funny because now that I'm looking back. I don't really remember saying I'm gonna learn funk. I'm gonna learn. I just a lot of it for me was whatever the gig called, whatever the gig was. Mm-hmm. I music for that gig, and right. then over years, done a bunch of different styles. So even when right. her country album came out, they hired pretty much all Nashville band except for the bass player, the keyboard player, and me. Mm-hmm. So they're Nashville guys. So that's what they do. Right. I had to listen. Um, hold on one second. Sure. I had to. Um, like I said, I bought Rascal Flatts' Greatest Hits. I bought everything that was out. I think Taylor Swift might have just been coming out. Um, I just listened to pop country albums. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I just listened. When it came, a lot of stuff I learned on the spot, like even funk stuff, because I grew up in a, in a uh, Christian household. We weren't allowed to listen to like R&B pop. It, if it was on the radio or something on TV. Oh, I could, secular music. Right. So I didn't have like Earthling and Fire records playing in my house. Right. So a lot of that stuff I learned between college and when I moved to L.A., I learned on the spot. But what happened was I was good enough pocket wise where they would deal with it. They would give me the groove. Mm-hmm. But after, after that was over, there was no Internet yet. I would go to Tower Records and get Earth, Wind & Fire's greatest hits. If it's mm-hmm. nothing but get the greatest hits of if it's Steely Dan, go get Steely Dan's greatest hits. Now I know at least Asia. Mm-hmm. I know. I know I learned those songs. Right. Right. So, the biggest way to learn a style is listening to that style. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If I want to learn rock, or depending on what I want, I get a rock album. If I want mm-hmm. to learn country, I buy a country album because it's already laid out there for us. Mm-hmm. And the greats, the records that are out are the greats that's doing it. So why not learn from the greats? Do you, you know, believe tech- in that versus grabbing a book of jazz or grabbing a book of country or grabbing a well, book? Well, of- it's not even one or the other. I do everything. You do I everything. Get the, I get the book. But even with the book, you want to hear how it's applied. To in real in a real music situation, of course. So you book to get the mechanics, like the left, right, right, left. The kick usually hits harder on this beat to get the technical side. That's what the book is for. Uh-huh. But musicality side, um, which to me is a little it way is a little more weight to the musicality side because that's the end of the day. If you're not making music with other people, you, they won't call you. Right. So I get the technique because now I know where my hands are supposed to be on what beat. But now I want to know what it's supposed to feel like. So right. even if I do a gig where they give us all the charts, if I can't hear what that record sounds like before I play it, I'm just playing notes as opposed to knowing like on the, the accent, even if there's an accent over that beat, I won't know that that second beat is a little more laid back in the samba as opposed to unless I hear a samba master playing it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because you're going to read it in a book and it's going to be boom, chick-ba-boom, 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 chick-ba-boom. Right. And it's like 
square box, like it's written on a page and you know, there's no feeling in it. Right. No feeling. You got to hear it in context to mm-hmm. know what it feel like. Cause the feel is everything. Right. Makes everybody from John Robinson to Ndugu to Marvin Smitty Smith to Marvin McQuitty to Aaron's everybody. Their feel is what makes it what it is mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the chops. If they don't have feel, the chops don't mean nothing. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. So, I- and yeah, the reason why I asked you that, because I just remember being, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old and just like feeling so overwhelmed with, with all the stuff that I had to learn. You know, right. It's just a, it's, I don't know. I guess it's like, Hey man, just take your time and, right. and, and well, get to it. Yeah. The, another thing, a good thing. Uh, my best friend, his name is Taku Hirano, you know, Taku, the percussionist. I literally just emailed him today. Yeah. That's my best friend. Oh, well, is he it? Would, moved out here. Yeah. He would take a month and only listen to Miles for like a month. Just every day in his car, wherever he's at, mm-hmm. listen to Miles. He would like for that month, he would get into it, learn the parts. And then a couple months later, he'll do, um, who was he playing with? Fleetwood Mac. He'll just listen to Fleetwood Mac for a month. So you don't have to learn it all at once. It's impossible to do everything at once. I would just say take your time. And and even if you take a year, take a year learning this style and still listen to other stuff and still mm-hmm. open your mind. You don't. If you try to do it all at once, that's the same thing as trying to play a real fast lick at the tempo before you learn it. Right. Like slow it down, take your time, and focus on one style. Mm-hmm. If, you know, everybody's different. Everybody learns differently. But that's what Taku would do. He would take a month. Like, yeah, I'm listening to Keith Jarrett this month. Right. <laughs> For a whole month, he would just. I mean, he. I'm sure he listened to other stuff in between. But of course, he would. On you know, every time he got in his car, just playing Keith Jarrett or just playing Bird or just playing you know yep. some train. And then the next month, he might be listening to Fleetwood Mac. Then mm-hmm. the next, listening to Michael Jackson, just studying each thing. And before you know it, in a couple of years, you know all the, all the hit songs and all the parts on how the song goes. Mm-hmm. So now you know that style. Yeah. Even if you're not a master of it. Even like for me, I did a gig last Friday at Baked Potato. Um, me and the Bone Player were the only two that didn't speak Spanish. It was a straight up Latin gig. Richie really? Garcia was on percussion. I play with them all the time. With I'm Richie? By, yeah, what, yeah. Yeah. With that band. With oh, Richie. okay. Okay. Eudos playing timbales and Oscar Cartaya's on bass. The guy's name is Carlos Rodgarman, and he has the band, the Rodgar band. Mm. So a lot of this is Latin, and I'm not a Latin guy. Right. Like, Joey Heredia walks in at the end of the night, and I see him, and I'm like, I'm embarrassed. Cause, <laughs> but I listen to it enough to know the feel. You're like, do you want to get up here? I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Looking at Richie, and Richie's like, dude, you're fine. Like, you're killing. But I listen to the style enough to at least know what it's supposed to feel like, even if I'm not... Mm-hmm. That's not my thing, per se. I can get through a gig doing that. You know what I'm saying? Right. I can get through a gig playing a straight ahead, like straight up, straight ahead. You know, I, I see myself more as a, like a pop, funk, R&B, gospel. But I, I went to school. We played straight ahead. So I can get right. through that. Mm-hmm. But I would play next to like a Greg Hutchison. You know what I'm saying? He's a, <laughs> that ain't my thing. But right. I can do it. I've listened to enough of it to I know the vocabulary and what I'm supposed to play. Mm-hmm. I, so, I think there's something about actually not doing those gigs if you can't do it i think you get more respect for that like i got a call to do a straight like i used to i just moved from from outside of manhattan and got a call like straight ahead gig mm-hmm. you know and i was like you know what could i play it yeah mm-hmm. is it going to be awesome probably not and mm-hmm. there's a thousand other guys who i think that you should call for this gig and i was right. like and here's three of them you know like yeah and I could have, I probably could have went and made the money and, and made it through the gig. And I don't think any of the, the civilians would have thought anything different, but I'm like, right. man, you, you know, you should be, you should call, you know, Greg, or you should call like my buddy Carmen and Tori or like, you know, not me, 
Right. I'm just I feel like that sometimes, and I'm not opposed to doing that. Yeah. But sometimes, like even this Latin gig, they do pop and funk stuff. Mm-hmm. Some of the Latin guys don't play the funk as you know. Sure. And it, it's like that's why I call you because you can get through the Latin stuff, but when we do the other stuff, you're on it. You can do a, a broader scope of stuff. Right. <laughs> you know. What I'm sure. Saying? That makes total sense. If, if it's like somebody like Kenny Garrett calling me, I'd probably be like, mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me call my friend Chris, you know, Chris Dave or Ronald, you know. Sure. Thing, but I played enough of it to where I can play it where I'm confident yeah. where it's out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. But so, yeah, I'm not opposed to referring somebody, but people call you for different reasons, mm-hmm. you know. That yeah. I'm, I don't necessarily think I'm the best one on the gig, but if they're the artist and they want me there, they want me there for something. Right. So I use that and I'm like, all right, cool. Well, they call me. Yeah, well, let, let, let's do it. <laughs> And that's more that's more excuse for me to get into that style of music and really learn it so I can be authentic. Yeah. Yeah. You know. That makes sense. So I know that you you mentioned every Tuesday you teach at MI, but you also teach private lessons in LA too? Yes, I do. I have a studio in North Hollywood. So okay. So I, if if people want to follow you, look you up, get in touch with you about lessons, all that stuff, what's the best way to do that? Probably the best way cuz I got it my website is down. I got to get it back up. I kind of let it fall. Okay. <laughs> but they can go to my Instagram. It's Gordon C. I mean Gordon five one two um, on Instagram, and Gordon is spelled G O R D E N, not O N. Five one two. That's my birthday. Just passed. Ah, not- ha- happy belated. <laughs> thank you. I'm four eleven. We're close. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Happy belated, Aries. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Taurus. Ha. <laughs> oh, are you? Yeah. I guess it runs to the what's at the end of April, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, so they can just send you a message through Instagram or, or comment on something or I have Facebook too. Just Gordon Campbell. That's how we got this. Can you commented on, on, uh, what was it? The Brian Dunn thing? Was it Brian? What was it? Oh no, no, no. You were, you commented on something on Calvin's. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And you were like, he's a beast or something. I was like, you're a beast. You should come on the podcast. There it is. So Facebook always, they should go to my second page, which is Gordon G O R D E N and my middle initial E. And then Campbell, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. They can go to my Facebook. Instagram, I'm on like every five seconds, though. If they leave me a message there, I'll see it. And okay. I'm going to get my website back up probably by the end of this month. Cool. I'm changing because um, it's all drums now. I got to put partial production. So that's what's taking a while. I'm getting yeah. yeah. Back yeah. up. So, so now it's Gordon it's Campbell. Yeah, in the next month or so, they can go to GordonCampbell.com. Cool. cool. So, and I'll, I still have D out, too. The what's Secrets that? Of the, Secrets of the Working Drummer, my instructional DVD. They can get that anywhere, or they can hit me up, and I'll mail them one. That's a Hudson one, right? It's yeah, Hudson, I actually right? did it myself, and then I got distribution through Hudson. Okay. Yeah, I had Rob on on the podcast as well, and uh, I mean, you know, it's Hudson. They put out amazing, amazing DVDs and and everything. So I will link up. So the show notes for the for the sh- for the podcast, everybody can check it out. There'll be links to you. There'll be links to your DVD. There'll be links to all the stuff that you have going on, Musicians Institute. And all that, and thanks to MI for being a sponsor of the podcast. And uh, so they'll be able to find all that stuff in in one easy place on Drummer's Resource. And to you, I want to say one thank you for for taking the time to chat with me, man. I I do appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy. Two, uh, one or two, congratulations on your success in the past. But I wish you all the success in the future with this new. I lo- I think that this is like a new chapter for you in the in the production world and really trying to to double down on that. So I wish you all the luck in the world for that as well. And being an artist, look out my record. It's going to be done by the end of the summer. I like it. I like it. Everybody's going to be on there. Like pop artists, jazz artists, all of my musician friends. It's going to be 
yeah please let me know when it's when it's out too like shoot me a message or you know um we'll talk off air but i'll give you more info where you can get it to me and all that perfect thank you for having me i appreciate it of course man it was it was my pleasure and um yeah i'll uh i'll make sure to link up to everything so people can find you and again thank you for doing this i do appreciate it thank you of course perfect So there you have it, Gordon Campbell. I hope that you dug that. I hope that you are digging all these podcasts. If you are, please leave a rating or review. I would really appreciate that. Also, for the show notes to this session, there's show notes for every single session. You can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 278 for this one or session whatever number you're listening to. If you're listening to 175, it's drummersresource.com forward slash one seven five session one seven five excuse me also i want to know if people are, are are reading the show notes uh a lot of people are some people have told me that they are some people told me that they're not i'm trying to get a better idea of how many people are reading the show notes because they take a lot of time to do and i want to know if you're getting any value out of it because if you're not i feel like i could be doing something else with the time to be adding more value to you the listener so please just let me know hit me up on you know on instagram twitter or wherever or shoot me an email or leave a comment go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 278 and leave a comment there in the comment section and let me know if you do or do not use those show notes and that would be cool and until the next podcast i do appreciate you listening thank you so much and i guess i'll just be talking to you soon peace